Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, I'm incredibly fortunate to have had the chance to speak with Cornell Fuhrer. Cornell is the Senior Vice President, General Counsel and Company Secretary of Corteva. In that position since the establishment um, uh, of Corteva four years ago. So Cornell takes us through his journey of how he got there. Firstly, his curiosity, willingness to learn and willingness to, to travel and take on new positions. We talk about that and how important that is, not necessarily with a view to being you know, the General Counsel, but with a view to learning, expanding your horizon, putting yourself in positions which might be uncomfortable. You know, we also shout out how lucky both he and I are, and I know many of you out there, that, you know, to having a supporting spouse or a partner in life that is with you there in the journey right from the beginning and sometimes sacrificing their own career, and that's an incredible privilege. Cornell runs an incredibly innovative legal department, how technology plays a role, what they're doing right now <laughs> to um, re-look at the work that the in-house team is doing and how to identify the priorities and what they should continue doing and stop doing and the importance um, of embracing a technology. As I said, I'm incredibly grateful to have had Cornell uh, join me. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. So in the usual fashion, sit back, chillax and enjoy the episode. Cornell, welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you on board. I can't can't wait for the discussion. I'm very excited. Yeah, th- thanks for having me, Jim. Uh, myself, I'm very excited, and uh, and I think you doing these podcasts are just fantastic ideas. Thank you. I know, I know you're a fan. I really appreciate that, Cornell. Let's jump in. You probably heard me say before, Cornell. You weren't always the senior vice president, general counsel, and secretary of Corteva, were you? There was a life leading up to that point. Take us through your career arc and maybe some pivotal moments that were kind of defining for you. My pleasure. So I was uh, born and raised in, in Switzerland. And, and yeah, there was a life before, just like there will be a life after. Yes, uh, correct. I, I completed uh, law school in, uh, in Geneva and, uh, and then uh, worked for a couple of years in private practice and then Moved to first to Panama to learn Spanish for about six months, and then moved to New York to do a master's degree uh, at NYU, and then at Custer, okay. New York Bar. So it's really, you know, also foreign, foreign, um, you know, interest, curious into into living abroad, uh, having a different experience than one at head home. Yep. But ultimately, then I returned uh, to Geneva, uh, back to private practice. But about three years later, I had. Uh, the opportunity to go in-house. DuPont, the specialty chemical manufacturer, yep. had uh, its European headquarters in Geneva and they were looking for counsel. And so I, I joined them and, uh, and it's just been a fantastic ride. They have offered me some very significant development opportunities over many, many years, supporting a, a number of different businesses, but more importantly, also in numerous geographies and going back to the theme of trying to explore, being curious. And, yep. and so I, I worked in, uh, in Hong Kong uh, for about four years. Uh, then I moved to Germany in Dusseldorf, uh, 
then they moved me to St. Louis, and then I moved to their headquarters in Wilmington, and then I had a four-year stint in, in Iowa where I started being engaged with agriculture at first, and as I was leading the legal affairs and the legal team that was uh, working on uh, DuPont Ag businesses. And it's during this period that uh, one of the most transformational moments in my life uh, took place where Dow and, and DuPont decided to merge. And after the announcement of that merger came up, I spent about 18 months. I was leading the DuPont uh, antitrust uh, approval process. And right. it was, you know, 18 months uh, was long, was painful, led yep. to uh, significant remedies, but ultimately we got there. The strategy for the merger was really compelling. So you bring these two large companies together and ultimately the goal was to create three world-class organizations, one of which um, is the creation of an ag business that incorporated the DuPont ag businesses, the Dow ag businesses, yeah. and then created Corteva. Uh, and then we spun off from Dow DuPont in June 2019. So it's coming up on four years and four years have just been a blast. I've been the GC from day one and really enjoying the work, the challenges, the successes, uh, just been just been very nice. Maybe I should say for those uh, of your listeners who don't know who Corteva is that uh, so we are an agriculture company. So what does this mean? So we're selling seeds, mostly yep. corn and soybean, but also canola, sunflower, uh, rice and, and others in function of the markets in which we are active. And we also sell crop protection products, so insecticides, fungicides, herbicides, etc. We're US-based. We're based in Indianapolis, and um, and you know one of our biggest challenges is to work with farmers to ensure that we create or raise sufficient food to feed a, a growing population. Yeah. Yep. So I'm going to come back to that and the way that kind of the Corteva mission helps drive you and the legal team. And before I get there, so if I think about your career, the steps that you take, the international exposure and that journey of yours, it's clearly, it seems to be peppered by, I'm going to try, I'm going to continue to grow, try new things, happy to relocate, take new challenges on. Um, and then layer in, you know, those new challenges, the expert experience and expertise that you develop. It didn't doesn't sound like there was too many. No, I'm not going to do that. It sounds like it was very much, yeah, I'm going to try that um, and see where it leads. So I don't know whether you did that or whether that was the approach and you did it with a clear vision of where it was going to end, or whether it was just that a curious mindset and a, a willingness to learn and put yourself in a position which. It's going to be challenging every time you move, you know, jurisdictions, it was family, it's personal, you, you drop yeah. your connections, you've got to build new. Talk about that because it, it just feels yeah. like it's going to, it's an important part of your success. It, it is. So first comes, you know, a, an understanding spouse. Met the love of my life. She was very understanding and willing to sacrifice her own career, willing to sacrifice, you know, her own uh, environment and, and move with me and discover the world together. So without her, I would not have been able to, to achieve what I have achieved. There was no clear vision. I always knew that if people were offering me opportunities, I should take them on because ultimately I was going to learn something through the process and, um, and it's going to make me richer experience wise and also 
also make me more desirable um, in a, in a labor market. And that's really the, the, the main driver was yep. the curiosity and knowing that, you know, no matter what happens, whether I stay with the same employer or not, I will have uh, enriched myself in the process and I'll be a better lawyer, a better leader um, in, in my next role. I'm going to take both of those. The, the second one first, the opportunities and being open to that and recognising you might not have a particular clear goal at the end. You want to get to X. But what you do know is each opportunity is a new learning experience and you that is a secret or a not-so-well-kept secret of success, being open to those opportunities and being willing to put yourself out there and learn. The, the first one you mentioned that some of us, uh, I feel like I'm the luckiest person in the world to have had exactly what you've talked about, a partner in life that right from the outset was was willing to sacrifice certainly her career to be able to manage the kids and then be able to basically say, yep, we're happy to take on this new adventure and all of the disruption that that, and it does, it, it can be really disruptive, but um, like you, Cornell, I feel like every bit of my success, you can trace back to there and trace back to just being so incredibly fortunate um, that I was lucky in life to have met that partner and um, and to have travelled on this and continuing to travel on this journey, recognising that. And I know it's the first thing you called out. I just think it's really important. I certainly wish that on everyone because it is such yeah. it's such an incredible advantage. Um, yeah. you, and- you saw my line. I used to think I'm the luckiest guy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, you're a close second, Cornell, a very close second. I think Cornell just recognising it is um, is a really important part of leadership. It sounds like you're the same. Yep. Um, okay, so having now been certainly in the role that you've been in for, um, for the last four years, tell me, Cornell, how have you seen the role of the General Counsel evolve over the last few years? And how do you think it's going to evolve uh, looking ahead? I look at the role, my role, the role of lawyers and, uh, and the entire legal team is really to primarily assess and then mitigate risk. And uh, as the risk evolves, the lawyers are asked to take on additional roles and responsibilities. Now, if I just look back at the, at the last uh, three, four years, so we've taken on some type of responsibilities on cybersecurity, privacy. Uh, uh, We've certainly had a hand in managing the pandemic for Corteva, then the social unrest, the remote work and the policies there, uh, the increasing compliance uh, requirements that resulted from the flurry of regulatory activities around the world. We played a very important part in in responding to the invasion of Ukraine and, uh, and, and thereafter our announced exit from Russia. So all of these, just taking a few examples, show that there are some things where we have unique skills uh, that that are needed by the organization. And I look at this and say, that is fantastic. It's great because first it recognizes the professionalism of of everybody on the team and, and also the dedication. Everybody knows they come to legal, they are going to be able to count on, uh, on members of the team. And also, maybe a bit more selfishly, I look at each one of these challenges as offering an opportunity, challenges, sets of obstacles that need to be surmounted. And therefore, 
increase the variety of uh, the work that the lawyers are working on, yeah. expands their horizon. So I look at all of this as learning opportunities. Yep. And, you know, dovetailing to that, absolutely learning opportunities, but increasing, uh, I suppose, responsibility, yep. um, working out how to prioritise those responsibilities and often being asked to do so with less. How you kind of manage those priorities and continue to deliver to expectations in, yep. in, in what can be challenging times because of that requirement of, of doing yep. it with less. So I, I do expect that this trend of legal departments taking on more and more responsibilities will will go on. We'll so I, yep. I believe that we are going towards a world that is going to be much more complex. We see the increasing trade and geopolitical challenges um, in our industry, but I believe it's true everywhere. The regulatory pressure is increasing. And those are all challenges that lawyers are, are well yep. equipped to, to take on. And and so I think it's obvious as well that uh, as, as you know, work gets added to our table, we have to become more productive and efficient yep. because our roles and responsibilities have grown way faster than the resources that we have at our dispositions. And so my challenge is to ensure that the legal team can meet the increased needs of the company um, while at the same time maintaining our cost constant. Yep. And, uh, and so there are two main ways that we've done that. One was the focus on technology. And then the second one is what you were asking me on is really the role of prioritization. Yep. Um, ensuring that everybody on the team uh, is, is working um, you know, on the most uh, value-add uh, activities that they can. And so what we have done there on prioritization specifically We've engaged into two efforts over the past four years. The first one was, you know, as we spun off, we had lawyers that had worked in two different heritage organizations down DuPont with very different ways of working. Yep. Um, you know, it, just mention an example. One was one of those uh, companies was very much more reliant on external counsel than the other one was. One was much more a full service firm, so essentially doing everything that the business asked us to do, while the other had started to prioritize some of that work. And, and so coming out and, and as we prepared to go public, I really felt the need to understand what all the teams across the legal function, um, you know, from administrative assistant, paralegal, patent agent, lawyers, uh, all of them were doing, and then also determine what work we'd continue to focus on, what work we try to automate or delegate or stop doing. And so that yeah. was the first effort. And, and the way we did that was not very popular. I asked everybody to, uh, to capture a timesheet for a period of uh, three weeks. And, and you can imagine how, you know, asking in-house uh, folks uh, yeah. to fill in timesheet actually goes. But, but ultimately, it, it really, really helped us understand as we aggregated all the input that we got, we were able to uh, set out some guidelines about when we'd be using Excel Council uh, and ju just provide a level of consistency on the work yeah. that we continue to do or the work that we continue to, the, the work that we seek to delegate somebody else or eliminate, et cetera. Uh, well, just on that timesheets, but I'm surprised it was only for three weeks, but you captured yeah. enough data. The, 
to, to be able to deliver insights and um, and make decisions. Is is that right? Yeah. So there was significant pushback. Yes. <laughs> Just trying yep. to be practical at the same time. I was trying to get somewhere. Sure. And I was yep. trying to get somewhere quickly because I felt of that course. we needed to have a consistent approach. So was it ideal? Did I capture, you know, all the sure. learnings that I could have? Probably not. Yeah. Um, yep. But then, but, but as a result of that as well, we looked at, okay, you know, what's out there in terms of tools? How can we, how can we develop a technology roadmap that beyond the prioritization that we've done yeah. could help us achieve some additional productivity? That was four years ago. And so over the past two months, on the, just following an employee, um, a, an employee-wide check-in survey that showed that everybody was complaining of heavy workload, Yep. including in legal, um, we have decided to go through a second round of prioritization work. Right. And this time, uh, we're no longer asking people to work through timesheet. We're really asking and relying on each one of the teams to plot the work that they're doing against, uh, against a two-by-two two matrix. Yep. And so the first axis is, you know, how aligned to the company strategies that particular work and the second one is, what is the inherent risk of that activity? Ability to operate, you know, freedom to operate could be our reputation and so on. And we provided some definition because everybody's definition of risk yeah. is very different. So we relied on, on our enterprise risk management uh, uh, tools uh, that are also in legal to, to really make sure everybody was, uh, was coming out uh, or was starting that work um, on the same on the same understanding using the same definition. Yeah. And and that work is still ongoing. So I cannot tell you whether it's been successful or not, but our focus there is really to ensure that our people spend their time and efforts on the activities that are the most closely aligned to the company strategy and at the same time uh the, the riskiest. Um yeah. I, I I love that. I have to say and I'm I I think we need to come back for a part two Cornell to dig a bit deeper on how that strategy of doing that two by two and I love a two by two because that picture for me tells many thousands of words that sometimes yeah. is really hard to, to to articulate so um so that is going to be an interesting exercise and coming back to your technology point um so uh Cornell I mean shout out I think it's it was probably four years ago when um, uh, when uh, Corteva and under your guidance had implemented Pursuit, you were one of our very early adopters, one of our very first um, customers. So it's been something um, which has clearly been on your mind and part of, if I can say, part of the DNA of you and yep. the legal team um, nice and early. So that, that is fantastic. See, but how are you thinking about it now? And how, tell me about how you're thinking about now with, with the advent of what we've seen just in the last few months, basically the power of language learning models like ChatGPT, which which appear, and I'm just going to say appear, to be able to do a lot of early drafting policies, the kind of work that we're trying to get our lawyers out of because it's not really value-added work, that generative work, yeah. Um, so how are you thinking about that? Because, you know, it's it, it's what everyone's talking about. And I'd love to get your views. And then I'm going to ask also about 
how do you think it might impact on um, uh, your relationship with your external firms? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, our focus is to ensure that our team spent, you know, their time, their effort on what's the most value add. And, yeah. uh, and so beyond the prioritization work, I mean, we also look at, the, at technology. And so some of the things that, uh, that we have done, you know, trying to figure out, you get the result from the two by two. So what is the yeah. work that we need to automate? Yeah. Are we moving to a self-service model? Because we believe in technology and because we see technology evolve, I mean, you know, we were gaining a significant amount of time and insights using your processes, just mentioning the electronic RFP applications yeah. and so on. So we're rolling out a, a CLM. It includes uh, some level of, uh, of AI that should be upgraded with ChatGPT4 yep. uh, soon. And that, uh, that should really help us. I was actually on a call earlier today, just trying to help the entire legal team focusing on the de-risking. I know it's very difficult to relinquish yes. control to, you know, to, yep. to a machine or to an equipment that, uh, or f capabilities that you don't fully understand, but trusting yeah. the process and starting slow and iterating yep. as, we, as we progress. Uh, internally, we are deploying our own uh, ChatGPT4 in-house. Um, Fantastic. We won't be getting first dibs at it. Uh, going to let uh, our head of, uh, of R&D and technology to, to really start uh, get started with it. But I really look forward to be able to take advantage of the work that we've done over the past four years, where we put most of the, most, of the most important work that we have online, so cloud-based, whether it's a billing data from our new yep. billing system, whether it's uh, um, our document management system, where we put everything that we are creating and just using you know, this uh, data pool yeah. to train uh, uh, ChatGPT, our in-house uh, yeah. uh, version of it, and then and then see how much we can improve on uh, on our productivity and efficiency. So I'm, I, I believe technology is evolving so fast. We got to get in a bath, got to start trying. And maybe some of the things that we're working on are not going to pan out or yeah. will be replaced by something that's so much more performant. But I see the benefit of the technology overall and I believe that we need it because, you know, again, the work's going to continue to increase and we got to make sure that we can continue to spend our time and effort on the stuff that's really going to be making a difference in the success of the organization. So, so Cordell, I was going to ask, uh, are you sitting on the sidelines to work out how this is going to pan out and just see, or are you, you and the team diving in, experimenting, and it, it's clearly the latter. You're diving and experimenting because there is you know, there are the, the two schools of thought. There is the there's privacy, there's security. Let's just see what happens. Yep. And there's that no, the world is going to change. Let's get in there and understand how how we can safely basically use this technology yep. and how we can learn and grow. So um, interestingly, just um, I just it was just last week I had a webinar with Shannon Klinger. And the topic was, how is AI going to impact on the in-house team? So, Cordell, yep. typically we get two or 300 people on a webinar. We had 1,500 register wow. uh, on this. So it's clearly top of mind. So one thing I'm going to mention that um, Shannon talked about there, and I'd love to get your take on it. I put a hypothesis to her about um, if I'm a, a McKinsey, a Bain & Co, a consulting firm, and I'm looking for a way that I can add value 
um, to organisations, my pitch to the CEO may be, essentially, let me at the legal department, I think we can redesign and automate using large language models like ChatGPT, that function, and we can take 20, 30, 40% of the cost out. Shannon talked about basically leaning in, learning and, and leveraging what is happening now in AI as essentially not only a protection mechanism because if she as the chief legal officer didn't, somebody else would, but also as a, as a protection mechanism for her, her employees because thinking about not leveraging technology because you're worried about the safety of jobs and is actually doing the very opposite. Whether you think there is a risk that uh, that legal departments might be subject to that kind of um, a pitch, if you like, uh, from the consulting firms of the world. If we and a number of other legal functions are investing into technologies because we really see the promise and the value that they can give in terms of increased productivity, increased efficiency, ensuring that you know a legal function never invents anything twice, you never have to create yep. something twice you can you can find everything that you've created before improve on it everybody will see the benefits of it and so i have uh, i have no doubt that um, that that everybody who plays a role today in uh, in the legal industry uh whether it's full service firms uh lpos consulting firms you know mention uh, the, the the big four yep. uh, they're already providing legal services in a number of regions legal tech startups and all of these, they will continue to seek a piece of the action. And, yeah. and so just like China, and I expect that within a few years, our CEOs will be approached by some of these firm with an offer to handle all their legal work Interesting. Uh, yeah. for a fraction of the price. So I, I do believe that's going to come. I do believe that it is a challenge and I believe it would be a big risk for the organization because they'd be losing some of the talent and some of the expertise that's been developed uh, over the years. But ultimately, to me, it's not the reason to adopt technology, it's just one more reason. I do yep. believe the most important reason to adopt the technology is, yep, you know, the bosses will be worried about productivity efficiency, but if I'm a lawyer in a function, I would want my function to invest in technology because as I mentioned earlier, it allows me to focus on the yeah. stuff that's really going to make a difference. That's stuff that's going to give me visibility. That's stuff that's going to grow me, my reputation, my brand. And it's going to make me happy because I will feel challenged at work. Just recycling yeah. old template um, and, you know, NDAs, whatever, distribution agreement, changing names and, and recycling something that was developed in 2003. I don't believe that. I don't see that as being very challenging and certainly not the type of work that would retain me at a particular firm. Yeah, we didn't go to law school really um, to, to, to do that kind of work, to, to shuffle papers, to regurgitate precedence and change words in a form. I'm actually incredibly hopeful that a lot of the reasons why we've lost fantastic talent from the legal profession are going to disappear with technology like ChatGPT, the language learning models, because that will take a lot of the drudgery out, the drudgery that has caused pain, misery, and caused disillusionment between really uh, amongst really a really talented cohort of people. 
you know, whether they were in law firms, in-house and wherever they were, and they got stuck in that drudgery and they thought to themselves, this is not why I went um, and invested such a big part of my life to become a lawyer and, and we lose that. So that's, that's what I'm hopeful for um, and we'll take that and we'll be able to elevate um, the entire profession to that high-value work. That's what we want. We all want high-value, meaningful work yep. where we can see a contribution to the company mission um, and uh, and what the company stands for. You know, if I can make a, a call out, um, yep. and if I look at all the teams on, on my team that have added the most resources, the legal operations team comes to mind. So I'd encourage everybody with, you know, an interest in, in technology to, to really aspire to be uh, in legal operations. Yeah. I mean, I see a tremendous future for organizations that, uh, that you know, that invest in their operations team. And, uh, and it, it's just so fantastic what these people yeah. come in with, have different skills, different capabilities, and help us to implement tools. Again, it's an iterative process. We're probably making mistakes that I'm speaking. But ultimately, is really just going there, you know, doing our part to increase the productivity and the efficiencies of our teams, and uh, and I'm I'm very happy with uh, with the operations team we have, and uh, and for every dollar I invest in the team, I'm saving a bundle on the other end. Yeah, yeah, and of course, I hate to give shout outs and names, but I'm going to shout out Greg McConnell, of course, who heads up Corteva's yep. legal ops team. Absolutely deserves a shout out. Um, uh, sort us out, found us out nice and early um, in our in the pursuit journey, and just continue to go, go from strength yep. to strength. So, shout out to to Greg. I highlighted asking you about law firms, your relationship with law firms, and let me give you some context there. As you know, certainly one of pursuit's catch cries is to destroy time as essentially the currency of value and the way in which in-house teams manage their law firms. Time is a very poor currency of value. Now, and that's been part of Pursuit's um, move from hourly billing to value-based arrangements. It seems like to me, ChatGBT and other language learning models have done much more quickly than Pursuit has to destroy time or annihilate time as a true currency of value. And if that's right, how do law firms now think about the way they're going to deliver value if a lot of the work, that generative, that research, that drafting and so forth, looks like it's going to get automated? Now, I'm not saying that, you know, that, that's only a part of it, but it's a significant part. Do you think about that? And I'd be interested in your views um, on, on how perhaps how you think it might affect impact on your relationships and, and what law firms would be thinking right now? So, you know, at the same time that we're pushing for new technologies in-house, clearly I'm also, whenever I speak to some of our critical partners at, the, at external law firms, I'm also pushing them to invest and make sure yep. that they keep up because I'm convinced that uh, it should allow them to deploy their resources more effectively yep. and therefore less expensively uh, for their clients. So I know you've been very vocal about killing the billable hour, and, and I'm really hopeful that uh, more firms that will be developing or are developing AI capabilities will help us move more towards, you know, the win-win type of, uh, 
uh, alternative fee arrangement that we have come to expect after yeah. we started using our pursuit. I mean, yeah. uh, more and more, it's not really the number of hours, it's really, you know, billing for a particular uh, yeah. for, for a particular area of work and uh, and putting that out to bid. I agree with you that uh, that many of us have been critical of the hourly rate, but it was very difficult to see what was coming next. But now you yeah. can see that everybody is going to get on to ChatGPT and others and yeah. all of that low-level work that yeah. used to get billed uh, uh, should should be taken care of immediately. And, and both the law firms, for the same reason as I mentioned, I mean, their lawyers will be able to spend their time yeah. on the most value-added activities, just as in-house counsel should benefit from that. My call there is fortune will favour the brave amongst the law firms um, and those that'll, that, that, that see that and are willing to invest now in what those true value-based fee model are going to be. I think that's going to be a great way to attract fantastic talent too. If you can demonstrate, here's all the work you're not going to do because we have AI models that do all of that and here's what's left. The high value, what a pitch. What a pitch to attract the best talent. So that that's my call. Um, time will tell um, which of those are going to be the brave and which are going to hang on and we'll see both. Back to the Corteva mission, you know, it's really feeding the world. Talk about how that impacts on you, your team, that kind of mission-driven approach. I've always said the most engaged employees are the ones that are bought in to the overall company vision and can relate to that and can see how they can impact on that. There's not too many <laughs> as compelling as Corteva's. I'd love to get your take on that. It's very easy to be passionate about creating food or allowing for more food to be created. So our mission is just very inspiring. So, yeah. you know, we try to enrich the lives of those who produce and those who consume, yeah. ensuring progress for generations to come. And so that's our mission statement. And, and so stating the obvious, but food is, you know, is a critical need. And, uh, and so our products and the technologies that we deploy help the growers farm larger crops in an increasingly sustainable way. So without, if you, if you think about it, without the increase in food production, uh, starting with the farmer, without that increase in production, we would have to dedicate significantly more land to agriculture than we currently are in order to feed 9 billion people by, you know, 20, uh, towards the end of that century. Yeah. So it's, if we believe that deforestation is going on too fast today, wait until, you know, we shut down or, or, or we, we continue to critique uh, some of the companies that are bringing technologies that are ultimately increasing or helping farmers grow their yield and grow more on the same amount of land. Yeah. Um, so that's, that, that, that really resonates very well with all our employees. So our, our employees are passionate about the work that we're doing and also the impact of the work that they do because they can see how how direct of an impact this uh, that work has on our food, our environment. Um, and obviously I'm also looking for the pattern whenever I hire within, uh, within legal. That's a very fortunate position to be in. 
and one that you clearly acknowledge and are grateful for and are ensuring each of the team members part of their why. It's always understanding the why in anything that you do um, in the in your work's life. It's um, it's critical. So I think you're incredibly fortunate yep. there. Um, Connor, I'm going to wrap up with two of my favourite questions. Um, the, the first is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done, personal or professional, that you're willing to share with us. You know, I'm speaking to you, Jim. So I'm going to be speaking about the change Change is, is really hard. And so I have the benefit of speaking with very different perspectives and, and I learn a lot. And, and so it really helps me anticipate what I believe needs to happen, which is why, you know, Corteva was one of the first users of uh, or adopters of a uh, pursuit uh, solution. Then more importantly, driving the change first among my leadership team and then to the entire organization. So change is accelerating and, and it's very difficult. If I look back, let's say less than 10 years ago, we are practicing law essentially like we did in the 90s. Yep. Um, and, and so you just look at uh, the changes that the internet, the cloud, machine learning, now AI, how these changes is accelerating. And so I, I do believe that having a roadmap, thinking through where we're going next, and, and again, we're gonna make mistake on the way, but the, but making sure everybody understands the changes that we need to go through, why we're going through them, I think these are some of the hardest things that we have to work through yeah, yeah, because yeah. It, it is a constant. And I know it's a banality that I just said, but the, I do believe that people get comfortable in their ways. Yeah. For the reasons that we discussed, we cannot just stay content with the way that we used to do things. Yeah. Change is hard, Cornell. I always say it is the hard. Our, our natural inclination, inclination as humans, I think, is to resist change because we're comfortable in what we know and what we've done before. The old pattern got us to where we've got to and why don't we just continue doing the old pattern? And it's just, it's a very natural thing to be uncomfortable <laughs> with change, but it is the secret or the not so well kept secret to growth and yep. to me, personal happiness. <laughs> Reducing that barrier for yourself, the earlier you can do that, uh, I, I think the more fulfilling career and the more fulfilling personal life you'll have. So if I can then take you back to your 25-year-old self, Cornell, what's the advice that you would give to young 25-year-old Cornell? I think we touched on it uh, before, but I think it's, yeah. you know, going back, I do feel I've just been extremely lucky in my career. I worked with fantastic bosses, colleagues. I was given a number of opportunities. And so um, I've also been offered opportunities, which at first I rejected. And so maybe just one thing where, it, and I rejected it because it was so outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. You know, I tried to be the best commercial lawyer, business friendly, very close to business. And uh, the general counsel at DuPont asked me twice to, to become the corporate secretary and uh, working with the board, the CEO. And I was, look, this is not for me. I love being in the business. I don't really care about how sausage, the political aspect of it. Yep. And, and how the sausage is being made. I really want to be in, on the front lines. And um, I was just outside my comfort zone and um, and he kept insisting and I accepted. And boy, am I so glad I accepted yeah. something that I felt was completely outside my comfort zone. I think it allowed me to be in a position there, man. It opened my eyes about how 
large organizations are being led, the skills, the leadership skills uh, that, that, that one needs in order to get to, to that level, the skills that one needs in order to interact efficiently with the board. And these skills have served me well. I continue to build on it, on, on them. I, I don't believe I'd be where I am today had I not yeah. taken on that role. So it's just a simple one. I mean, my, my career was perfect. I could have done without it, but I may not have ended up where I where really aspire to be. That, that's one of those, that's the life lesson of being comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's where the growth is. That's where the journey gets interesting. And that's where the, the new opportunities, because if we stick to what we're comfortable, um, uh, you know, we, we narrow um, that, those opportunities. So Cornell, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much for joining me. I know the audience is absolutely going to love this episode. Thanks so much. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.